This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about what the wealthy know about retirement. I think that a lot of people are going to be wondering that. <laughs> and today I have with me financial planner Kelsey Banky. Welcome, Kelsey. Good morning, Mary. So here's the thing. I think that a lot of people, first of all, are wondering what does the term wealthy mean? And I want to just take a minute to address that because most people, even people that a lot of others would consider to be wealthy, don't think that they actually are the definition of wealthy. So for most people, what wealth means is that they have more money than that person does. <laughs> it's not like a certain number. Like it's not like, oh, if you have $3 million, you're wealthy. Or if you have $10 million, you're wealthy. So most pers- most people have their own individual definition of what a wealthy person knows. But w- When you are talking about what the wealthy know about retirement, there definitely are a handful of things that people who have larger amounts of wealth tend to do, tend to think, and tend to take action on that help contribute to some of their furthered financial success. And we want to talk a little bit about those today. So Kelsey, kick us off. What's one of the very first things that you know that wealthy people know about retirement? Well, first, I would say that retirement is not a last-minute plan for most people that have wealth. They've put in a lot of thought into it, um, and they've they've probably done some planning to analyze um, if they're on the right pace or track or whatever the case may be. Um, but it's not just an afterthought. It's not like, oh, I think I'll retire today. It's, right. they, they've given some um, effort to it ahead of time to better understand it. And that doesn't mean they're also counting down the days to retirement necessarily, but just that they've done the planning ahead of time. Yeah. And I think that that's a really critical thing. It's not something wealthy people don't leave it to the last minute. Wealthy people don't start thinking about their retirement plan three months or six months before they actually retire. For many people, it's at least a couple of years before they are ready to pull that retirement trigger that they're meeting with their planners to make sure that they have all their ducks in the row in order to have a successful transition into retirement. And, and ostensibly, that's because they have more ducks to get in a row. <laughs> sure, there's a little bit more complexity um, with the more wealth that you have, um, where coordination of, of just your assets and your um, estate planning and all those things really need to come together to make sure you've taking care of all those last minute loose ends. Now that I think leads right into what's probably one of our next um, things that wealthy people know and is that that's that they have usually have a team of advisors. They have a team of people in their corner that are helping them make those decisions, identify gaps in their planning and um, helping to just make sure everything's in order. So for most wealthy people, they they do have a team, like Kelsey said. So when you think about a team of advisors, the, the normal team of advisors actually is quarterbacked by the financial planner. So typically when someone has a team, we act as the pivot point of collaborating with and coordinating with other professional advisors. 
But on that team is also going to be that person's attorney, that person's CPA, that person's insurance agent, and things like that. And the there might even be multiple attorneys with that. So for instance, you might have someone that is an estate planning attorney, and you also might have someone that is just their business attorney. So the team of professionals that a wealthy person amasses does tend to work and collaborate together to give advice so that there's expert advice coming or specialist type of advice coming from all angles. Yeah, and I would, you know, now building, so I think we're building, (laughs) building onto that then, uh, wealthy people tend to pay a lot of attention to taxes. Yes. So that's where coordination between your advisors, between your your financial planner and your CPA and, and your attorneys can help with this. And that's because they're usually paying a lot of taxes on their wealth. So they're looking for lots of ways to um, reduce that bill anywhere they can. So, you know, let, let's spend a little bit of time talking about taxes when it comes to wealth. There are different types of taxes out there that planning needs to address. The one that is the most obvious is income taxes. And, you know, income taxes change. Different presidential administrations increase taxes. Different ones reduce taxes. And all you can really do from a tax planning standpoint is work with what you know the tax law to be now because you don't know what it's going to be in the future. But within the tax code, there are different tax rates for different types of money. So there's tax rates for income, ordinary income. There's also tax rates for capital gains, which could be short-term capital gains or long-term capital gains rate. But the thing about it is that the gains for long-term capital gains have some really unique rules, but they also have different income brackets that they affect. So what the wealthy know about taxes is that there are different investment vehicles that are more tax favored than others that they often gravitate towards, not just when they're entering retirement, but as they're saving for retirement. So those tax favored vehicles tend to play a bigger part in the portfolios of the wealthy because they've paid attention to that, because they have spent time you know, learning what that needs to be, and then their professional advisors are helping advise into the right types of vehicles for them. It also allows you to do something that's called tax-sensitive asset allocation. Because at the end of the day, Kelsey, I think what it really is the most important is after you pay your taxes, how much of your investment return did you keep? I would agree with that. And and with those tax-favored vehicles and, again, types of planning that maximize the use of those to the extent possible within the codes, um, it's just really good planning that a lot of people that have wealth know to take advantage of. So there's, of course, tax-favored vehicles like Roth IRAs, but wealthy people tend to make too much money to qualify for a Roth IRA. So they start looking at different things like the backdoor Roth IRA conversion strategies and different things like that to get into some of those where they can decide, do I want to pay taxes now or do I want to pay taxes later? 
They also tend to have charitable contributions, but do them in a more timely manner using vehicles called donor-advised funds. And donor-advised funds allow you to heap your charitable donations into a year where you really need your tax deduction, but then make make the charitable gifts out of that donor-advised fund spread out over time in the future. And that's a really powerful tool when you're looking for deductibility and taxes and you're working with bigger amounts of money. So that's a little bit about taxes. Now let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what the wealthy really know about their health care choices. Because I think that one of the things that is true about the wealthy is they tend to address their health care issues early on. They tend not to wait to the last minute to kind of focus on those things. Yeah, and so part of the reason for that is uh, as individuals make more money in retirement, the cost for things like their uh, Medicare pieces that they pay for increase as well. There's um, extra mm-hmm. extra premiums on those that they have to pay. That's un- unfortunately just uh, for people that make more money. So paying attention to that and how that ap- impacts their retirement plan is something that uh, most people with wealth do address early on. Now, when we talk about healthcare planning, like long-term care and things like that, we all know that a long-term care stay or an extended nursing home stay can really eat through a lot of money in a portfolio, especially now that, you know, if it's a memory care or an Alzheimer's care type of issue, you could be physically fit, but you mentally are not fit and able to take care of yourself. That type of care can run eight to $10,000 a month, and you could be there for years. So that can eat through a significant part of somebody's portfolio. So What we normally say is that if someone has more than about $3 million worth of retirement assets, they need to evaluate, would they rather buy insurance or are they going to be able to self-insure that because they have enough in retirement value to do that. But what the true wealthy people know is that they look for ways to leverage their assets. So they look for ways to actually insure against these type of risks, but not by giving up too much of something that they actually want to keep in their family more for a legacy purpose. So wealthy people tend to gravitate more towards the type of long-term care that is hybrid, which is the life insurance based. So Kelsey, share a little bit with our listeners about kind of what that hybrid long-term care does and why it appeals more to the wealthy sector. Sure. So a hybrid type strategy is going to be a combination of a more traditional life insurance policy where you pay a premium and there's a death benefit at the end of it that you get. But the hybrid feature that comes into play is there's a uh, extra benefit you can add into to some policies, not all policies. This is not something that's available on every single type of life insurance out there. But for some policies, you can add in an extra benefit that allows you early access to your death benefit so that if you need long-term care and you meet, uh, you know, usually it's two activities of daily living that you can't perform. So an example of that, feeding yourself, getting yourself dressed, getting yourself out of bed, getting yourself to a bathroom, um, incontinence, things like that. There's also a cognitive component that if you if you meet the the cognitive requirement, it's a standalone one. You don't need that and a second activity of daily living. Um, but if you qualify for needing care according to the terms of the policy, then you can begin accessing that death benefit earlier to pay for long-term care needs. Now, 
each policy is going to have different rules to it. Um, so you might, they might just pay the amount and they don't care what you spend it on, or they might need you to um, spend it on a certain type of care. There's lots of different things that are out there. But the benefit of that type of program and the reason that wealthy people tend to gravitate to that is that they are able to, you know, for the, the saying goes, kill two birds with one stone. They have one policy, one premium that can cover both if they have an untimely death, but also if they have a long-term care need, um, they have assets that are helping um, to fund that as well. Right. And when we talk about, gets, yeah, somebody gets a benefit ahead. somewhere. <laughs> and yeah, when, that's where I was going, Mary. <laughs> when we talk about leveraging the assets and, and using that as a point, here's why the hybrid policies really do appeal to the wealthy is because they know that even though they're going to be paying a premium into an insurance policy, somebody's going to be getting a benefit that is going to be more than what they've paid into that policy. So they may be willing to pay five, eight, ten thousand $10,000 a year into a policy if they know that maybe even if they pay that for 30 years, there's still going to be more benefit that comes back out of the policy to them or their family than what they've paid into it. So that's what I'm talking about when the when I'm talking about leveraging. They look at the long-term outcome of it, not just the actual annual cost of the program. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about what the wealthy know about retirement. So one of the things that I think is very true about the wealthy in retirement is that they for sure don't rely on Social Security to be a big part of their income. They re- rely on themselves. They rely on what they've created themselves. Yeah, they've done a great job saving, most likely. They've built up a a nice pool of assets that they can pull from. And sure, they're going to take their Social Security because they paid in all that time. But their, um, you know, Social Security often doesn't make or break their retirement plan because it's not something that they were relying on in their retirement planning. They did that work themselves. Now, one of the things that wealthy people also tend to be aware of that not everyone's aware of is something that's called sequence of returns risk. And we've talked about that a number of times on this show. But sequence of returns risk is basically in a nutshell means if you retire and there's a negative market cycle anywhere in the first, say, five years of your retirement and you're pulling out of those assets when that's happening, it can create kind of a perfect storm where your retirement assets may never actually recover from that event, and it can create an environment where it's possible that you might run out of money much sooner than you ever expected to or had planned to. So sequence of returns risk is answered by segregating your money into some different buckets. We call that a bucket plan. So Kelsey, normally we would have um, a, a now bucket, which is money that you could be you know, spending now or maybe in the next year. The soon bucket is for money that's likely to be spent in the next 10 years. And then the later bucket is money that's going to be spent beyond the 10 years. But explain to people listening how the sequence of returns risk is addressed by having that soon and later bucket focus. So the soon and later bucket both have different purposes. The soon bucket is designed to cover, you know, the next 10 years or the next phase of retirement, which, you know, we we would consider the next 10 years. And if you do this well and you line these assets in a way that either eliminates negative market um, potential in that bucket 
or reduces it significantly, then you can feel comfortable drawing from those assets in the next 10 years or if you don't feel more comfortable uh, knowing that you've reduced the the market risk significantly right. in there. Um, and if you've done that, then um, knowing that your, your next 10 years worth of income isn't having as big of a, a swing in the market as maybe your later bucket is um, gives you that, you know, more confidence that you're going to have what you need there for the, you know, like I said, the next 10 years. Now the later bucket um, in that one, that one is designed to be money that you're going to use after you've depleted the soon bucket. Um, so we're looking at longer than 10 year time frame for that one. So taking on a, a something that resembles nor- your normal risk level, which for you know some people anywhere from moderate to, mo- to moderate aggressive to aggressive in, in many cases, um, that bucket does two things. One, it lets you be invested in the market, take advantage of those returns, but it helps give you a better chance at fighting longevity. So um, one of the biggest mistakes people make is in retirement is they take all of their money they've accumulated and they make it less aggressive because, Oh, I'm approaching retirement. I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't be more aggressive (laughs) anymore. Well, that's partly true. And that's where the scene bucket helps. But if you take money, you aren't planning on using for the next 30, 40. I was working on a plan the other day. It's a 50 year plan. If you take money, you aren't planning on using for the next 45 or 50 years and you make it less aggressive. Well, you're going to give yourself, it's going to be more difficult to keep up with, you know, a long life expectancy. um, Whereas assembling it in a bucket plan strategy can help you know, fight against longevity, but also protect in the sequence of returns risk situation. Yeah. So what the wealthy know is that they spend out of the bucket that has limited market risk and that protects them from sequence of returns risk. And they let the rest of the money that's not going to be necessarily needed in the next decade still have some market risk so that it gives it the opportunity and the potential for growth. Now, of course, that also means it has the potential for loss if there's a negative market cycle. But generally speaking, over time, that opportunity, you know, is there to grow. So wealthy people tend to look at it with a more long-term view like that. And they're not as worried about protecting all of the money. They know that they just really need to focus on isolating the right amount of money to protect in that soon bucket and limit the market risk that it's exposed to. Now, one other thing that the wealthy know is that when they're planning for retirement, there's a lot of factors that go into it. And you can do all of the great planning in the world, but the truth is that it's never going to happen exactly according to plan. (laughs) So generally speaking, you know, the more wealth that you have, the more you have to be looking at things as a range of income in retirement. So when we're planning for people, we are typically looking at it and saying, well, you know, you might want to be spending $150,000 or $200,000 a year for your retirement income. If you spend more than $350,000 a year, the likelihood is you're going to actually run out of money. If you spend $200,000 a year, the likelihood is you're going to have plenty of money when you're still 95. But the reality is that somewhere in that range between, say, 200 and 350 is where your spending range can be. And if we see negative market cycles, you might want to pull it back a little bit. If we have positive market cycles, it might be okay to spend towards the higher end of the range or every once in a while spend towards the high end of the range. But what they understand more is that it's not a fixed income stream. It's more about a range of income. 
And, you know, the the other thing about that is that in those years where there's positive income, that's when wealthy people tend to maybe buy some of the more fun toys. But they also understand that if there's negative market cycles, that's not the year that they're going to overspend on toys. <laughs> <laughs> Got to pick and choose when you have fun with it. So Exactly. So, Kelsey, we have time for one more thing that we can talk about that the wealthy understand. So let's talk a little bit about some of the ways that the wealthy tend to monitor and tweak performance differently than other people do? Sure. I I think one of the biggest things is just that they do. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They're paying attention or they've hired somebody to pay attention for them. Um, It's, you know, not uncommon for for wealthy people to have just regular account uh, monitoring to be in the loop on what's going on. Not necessarily that they understand and know everything that's going on because that's just not some people's forte. But um, they, they've made that decision. They've, they've recognized the need for it. And they've put, again, put that team in place to do that for them. Now, in that monitoring, they're, they're tweaking accordingly. They're, if they see something that's out of place, if their allocation shifts in, the, in a way that's not the right uh, thing for them, they're allowing those tweaks to happen. And, and also, you know, again, pairing that back up with a really good tax strategy on how to, to best make those things happen within a tax year. Exactly. So bottom line is the wealthy people probably aren't monitoring and tweaking it themselves, but they have hired the right team to do it for them. And so, you know, asset management, focusing on tax sensitive allocation, looking at tax favored investment vehicles, trying to keep as much of the return as possible in your pocket rather than having to pay it to the IRS Those are some of the key things that wealthy people do when it comes to their portfolio management. Okay, we do have a seminar coming up on September 12th and 17th in the um, Sioux City area. And so if you're interested in coming to that, it's a retirement readiness seminar. And we're going to be covering a lot of things that is going to help you on your own journey to a healthy and wealthy retirement. So if you'd like to come to that, then go ahead and go out to sterkfinancialservices.com. You can register right through our website and get all the details there for those September 12th and 17th dates. So we hope this has been very helpful for you to learn some more about what the wealthy know about retirement. And thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555.